0: And Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Praise team. Thank you all for being here today. It is just good to see the house of the Lord be filled with its people. I'm excited about opening up God's Word. I want to invite you to do that now as we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going through this letter or book. We're come to the conclusion of chapter 1, that is, looking in verses 27 through 30 today. You know, I don't think it's too hard to believe That right now, as Americans, Christians are being targeted. Uh, They're being mocked and ostracized for their faith and beliefs, perhaps more than they ever have before. I mean, let's just face it. This country right, was founded upon Christian morals, Christian beliefs. But now, as we live in the 21st century today, Those very same values and beliefs are seen by many, at least, as being outdated, as being old-fashioned, as being close-minded. Furthermore, I think it's also safe to say that even if we just went back, even just 20 years ago, I would say a large chunk of America could be found in pews like this, sitting in a pew and being a part of a body of Christ, as we just sang. But now, let's just face it, as we come to church, as we drive by our neighborhoods and different homes, we see many people either asleep or lying in bed or watching TV on the couch because what was once valued and seen as being important no longer is. In fact, in my studies this week, I came across an article, and it was just very eye-opening to me. Uh, basically, the, the article was a, was a survey that a group of people did. They surveyed some portion of the population of the United States. I'm not sure where. But, they, but the survey was this. They, they asked American citizens which minority group they would not want to be neighbors with. And here's, here's what this study showed. They said that 1% said that they would not want to have Catholics as neighbors, 2% said that they would not want to have a Protestants living next door. A 3% said that, that, that Jews would, they wouldn't want to have Jews living beside them. And 9% said that they wouldn't want to have Hispanics living across the fence from them. 11% said they wouldn't want to have gang members living right next to them. And then finally, get this: 13, 13 of the people who were surveyed in this study said that they would not want to live next door to a religious fundamentalist. Church, I don't know about you, but I about spilt my cup of coffee when I, re- I said, "Are you kidding me? You you would rather have a gang member than than a, a religious fundamentalist?" Listen, if that's true, I don't know if that study is true, but if that is true and I believe to a large portion of, of what it has been said here is true, then we need to realize right, that today we are living in a world, we are, are living in a country where more and more American citizens are becoming hostile towards the Christian faith, and especially towards Christians who are bold in their faith and are willing to make a stand for what they believe. Because, you see, bold believers, right? Bold believers, I'm talking about the type that doesn't just fold in with the culture and the societal norms of today. Those are the people that are being labeled as being narrow, as myopic, as bigoted and biased. Yet, being a bold believer is exactly what God calls each one of us to be. His Word tells us to to not conform to the fleshly desires of this world. And so that puts us in a bit of a dilemma, doesn't it? Because certainly there's a part of us that doesn't want to be a part of this group of people that's being targeted, that's being mocked, that's being unrightfully labeled as being closed-minded and prejudiced just because we claim to be Christian. Yet, at the same time, we also know that God calls us to stand up for our beliefs, to not cut corners with our theology and way of thinking according to the Bible and attempt to blend in. But if we do that, well, that very well may, may mean that we're going to stick out and that we will be ridiculed for our faith. So, what should our response be? Well, listen, no one understood this dilemma better than Paul did. He understood that if you become a Christian and you truly sought to follow Christ boldly, then your life wouldn't become a playground. No, it will become a battleground. He understood that if you you make a stand for Christ, then you will face opposition. In fact, in one of his letters, 2 Corinthians 11, he kind of lists out his resume as he's... Dealt with this firsthand. He tells us, because of his faith, because of his bold witness, that he received 40 lashes from the Jews. Three times he was beaten with a rod. One time he was even stoned. And that's not Colorado's stoned. That's stoned with rocks. See, as we come to our text this morning, what we're going to find is a shift taking place in Paul's letter to the Philippian believers because what Paul has been doing up to this point is he's been talking about his imprisonment. Now, though, he's going to shift his focus to the Philippians' predicament instead. And the Philippians' predicament is that while they are a growing group of believers, while they are a growing group of, of, of a church that's come together and formed there, they at the same time are faced with the challenges and the pressures associated with an unbelieving world that surrounds them. And so what Paul is doing right here is, he's, is he begins to challenge and encourage the Philippian believers to remain steadfast in their faith and to continue being bold even in the midst of fears and hostilities and the pressures that they are surrounded with. And so with all that in mind, let's just read our text. For today, let's see how Paul comforts and challenges the Philippian believers, the people he's writing to, beginning in verse 27. Paul says, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. And this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Now before we start digging in to this verse, or these verses, I want you to do something for me. This is the youth pastor side of me that I still have, so play along. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, and and I'm serious. I actually want you to close your eyes. Okay, don't go to sleep on me, but you're going to need to open them up soon, but close close your eyes for now. And now I want you to picture yourself standing. You can be standing anywhere. It doesn't matter, but you're standing, and as you're standing, a hostile group or a hostile crowd, they begin to surround you on all sides. And this crowd is yelling at you. Now, this crowd is, is mocking you and ridiculing you. Now, this crowd wants nothing more than to see you succumb to their jeers and their, their insults and fall down in defeat. Alright, you got that picture in your mind? Okay, good. Go ahead and open them Back up, because the reality is this. Okay, While well, that picture is, is a fictional image that I just tried to make you place in your own mind, in all actuality, that image represents our lives as Christians today, as we are increasingly living in a hostile environment, living in a country where many want to see the Christian faith just fade away. And so the big question for us today is this, the question that I hope that we can try to seek some, some answer in. The question is this How do you stand tall when the world wants to see you fall? How do you do that? How do you stand tall when the world wants to see you fall? In, in other words, how, how do you stand tall for your faith when it seems like the world just wants to knock you down, to push you aside because your beliefs, your convictions do not line up with their beliefs and their convictions and their agenda? Well, according to Paul here, there are four qualities that we are to have in order to to stand up, to keep being bold in our gospel faith, even in the midst of hostility. And they are, if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, consistency. And number two, unity. Number three, bravery. And number four, agony. Consistency, unity, bravery, and agony. These four qualities Paul is going to show us here. They're going to support us. They're going to give us a foundation that we need to be be able to stand tall when the world just wants to seem to push us down and fall. And So with that in mind, let's just talk about these qualities this morning that Paul lists out here. And again, we'll start with the first one first, and that is Consistency consistency this is the first quality that paul is showing us that we are to have look look again at what he says in the beginning of verse 27 paul says just one thing as citizens of heaven live your life worthy of the gospel of christ now to help us just uh, understand and appreciate this section of verse 27 i actually want to just break it down into two main parts okay so let's Let's, let's, let's break this in half. First, I want to draw your attention to what Paul says at the beginning of this verse when he says, as citizens of heaven. Because you see, what, what Paul is doing here is he is reminding the Philippian believers that while they are citizens of Philippi, while they are ultimately under Roman authority as believers, their true citizenship lies in heaven. And they are are under the authority of God himself. And listen, I point that out to you because as I mentioned at the very beginning of this sermon series, when we were doing an introductory walkthrough of the book of Philippians, I reminded you uh, that the city of Philippi was in many ways, according to scholars, like a miniature version of Rome. Uh, In other words, if you were familiar with the sights and sounds of Rome, then if you were to walk the streets of Philippi, then you would have said this kind of reminds me of Rome. And you see, that, that was seen as a compliment in those days for for Rome was considered to be a grandiose powerhouse. And so in saying things like that, the citizens of Philippi begin to kind of stick out their chest and say, look at our great place. Look at our great city. They took great pride in where they lived. They would have done everything possible in their power to be honorable citizens, to be hard-working citizens, to keep up this image and this reputation that they had because they deeply cared about upholding it amongst the world. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's trying to fix the Philippians' eyes not on their earthly citizenship, but on their heavenly citizenship instead. In fact, later on in Philippians, we'll get there, one day in Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul says these words. He says, we, the Philippians, that being the people of God, are citizens of heaven. And so Paul's point here isn't that we should neglect our responsibilities and and all the things that we need to do here on earth in places like Philippi or places for us like New Albany, but that as citizens of heaven, how much more so? Should we represent God's kingdom and how we live and how we act and how we serve? And That's what Paul's getting at in verse 27 when he says, As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because while we should live our life worthy of being a good and honorable citizen as believers, we are even more so responsible to live a life worthy of the gospel that points others to Christ, that helps build up our ultimate and final residence, which is not here, but in heaven. Now, before we move on, let me just point out something else to you right here in this section of verse 27, and that's the word worthy. If you're one to to take um, notes or underline things in your Bible, I would actually encourage you to underline that word worthy. Do you see where it says that? In verse 27, Paul says, live your life worthy... Of the gospel of Christ Jesus. See, that word worthy in the Greek It's the word axios. And it, and it means to balance the scales or to, to weigh as much as something else does. Kind of like those old-timey scales. Do you see those in the movies where there's like these two buckets? Yeah, I got a picture for you because I, I'm just a visual learner. I don't know if you're like that too. But you understand that's, that's kind of the idea here, right? And so what Paul's point is that as believers, your conduct... That being the way you, you live, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you serve, it should carry as much weight or be worthy of that of the gospel. And so just to go back to that scale analogy for a moment, can you put that picture back up on there real quick? Now imagine, imagine that that one side of that scale, it represents what you say you believe in as a Christian. Okay, that's, one, that's, one, that's one bucket, what you say you believe in as a Christian. And then the other side of that scale or the, or the other bucket for the image uh, that we have up here, it represents how you actually live your life as a believer. You got that? Well, well, Paul's point here is that your life should match up or be of equal weight to the gospel. Or said another way, our practice That being how we live our lives should match up or be of equal value or weight to our proclamation. That, of course, being what we say we believe in, which is the gospel. So what Paul is doing here is he's calling us to live a consistent Christian life. He's saying if you call yourself to be a Christian, then live up to your name. Live a life worthy of the gospel, for a Christian must never live beneath his theology or belief. And I'll tell you why. Because one of the greatest weapons, listen to this, one of the greatest weapons you can use against the forces of evil is a consistent, godly life. One of the greatest weapons, one of the greatest tools is a consistent, godly life. For example when you are tempted by the devil, when you you are surrounded by the pressures of an unbelieving world, you're going to do one of two things. Option A, you're going to to succumb to those sinful temptations, whatever they are. That's if, if you live a life of compromise, of inconsistency in your Christian faith and values and beliefs. Or option B, you're going to stand up. Because you, you, you're, you're living a consistent, godly life that's worthy of the gospel. And listen, I understand for many of you here today, many of you, you, you want to choose that second option. And so oftentimes you find yourself still falling prey to sin. Listen, I get that. I really do. I, I'm in the same boat. But the beauty of the gospel is that we serve a God who gives us grace, who gives us forgiveness in those moments of weakness, yet... At the same time, as citizens of heaven, as as citizens of heaven, to to be able to get back up on our feet, to be able to continue to pursue this godly, consistent life that He has called us to. And so, may I just ask you this morning are you you living a life that is filled with love? Because that's what the gospel is. is. Is your life filled with holiness? Because the gospel is. Is your life filled with with Christian character and integrity and consistency because the gospel is. Live your life worthy of the gospel of equal value or weight to it. May your practice match up with your proclamation. So consistency, that's the first tool, weapon, shrink that will help us to stand tall when the world wants to see us fall. But Paul's going to give us Another quality here to help build upon this foundation that he's showing us, and that is number two, we are to have unity. Unity. Look again at what Paul says says here as he continues on in verse 27. He says, Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Now, if you remember two Sundays ago, we didn't have church this past Sunday, but two Sundays ago, we kind of talked about this. Uh, We we talked about how Paul didn't know whether or not he was going to live or die. I mean, that's basically what this previous section of Scripture said, right? He says, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of this this prison cell that I'm in, or I may just end up staying in here and I may die. I don't know. And so that's what he's saying in verse 27, that that he doesn't know whether or not he's going to be able to travel back to Uh, the city of Philippi, to see his beloved people, the Philippians, because he really had no idea. But regardless, that's not the point that Paul is trying to make here in this verse. No, Paul's point here is that whether he comes to see them or not, he wants to hear reports of how they are standing firm in the midst of opposition. Now, church, let me just say, that that's soldier talk right there. In fact, the word standing firm... That Paul uses here, it's it's a military term that describes a a soldier who would would dig in, who would stand his or her ground even in the midst of tremendous opposition. And so to go back to that image that I try to have you place in your mind, picture yourself there again. I want you to now picture yourself standing upright, but when that hostile crowd surrounds you, I want you to imagine yourself to, to widen your stance Right? To, to dig your heels in to be ready to stand firm in the midst of hostility because that is the idea, the picture that Paul paints, which is to stand firm against our enemy. But I want you to notice something else in this verse. Because notice that Paul is not just saying that we are to do this individually, but he's calling us to stand our ground together. See, this is where the, the unity is. ...comes into play. For example, just just look at the wording again... ...what Paul uses here in verse 27. He says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven... ...live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ... ...then, whether I come and see you or am absent... ...I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit... ...in one accord... ...contending together for the faith of the gospel. And so the idea here is yes... You need to widen your stance. You need to dig your heels in the mud or the sand when spiritual opposition comes your way. But how much more would you be effective if you weren't just doing that, but that your brother and sister in Christ had locked hands with you and there was someone on this side of you and there was someone on this side of you and there was someone on this side of you and so on and so on. See, your chance of spiritual victory when these times of troubles and temptation comes greatly increases when you surround yourself with other like-minded believers. They're going to help you. They're going to support you and fend off attacks from the enemy far better than you ever could by yourself. In fact, just just go ahead and jot this down. This is kind of a cheesy saying, but I I think it's good. And that's this. God's people are better When they're together. I mean, God's people are better when they are together. I know that's a little cheesy and cliche, but that's so true because, you see, when we are unified as a body of believers, we are strong, and when we are strong, we can help others stand tall when others want to see us fall. Now, before I move on, I I want to point one more thing out here to you, and and that's about this this word unity. You you see, unity, listen to this, there's a lot of confusion surrounded with with unity. Unity does not necessarily mean unanimity, where everybody thinks the same. And and at the same time, unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity, where everybody always acts the same. For example, as much as I I love you guys, if I just open up the floor and I just said, hey, what do you think the ideal service should look like. Well, like? What are the elements of that? And then if I were to ask, and what do you think Sunday school should look like? Could you just give me your thoughts there? Or, or what do you think that color wall should be? Or what, what color carpet should this be? You see, if I open up the floor to that, I'd get a lot of different answers. Much as I love you guys, I'm gonna guess that I'd walk away. <laughs> Being a little disheartened because I mean this person would have that opinion, this person would have that opinion, and so on and so on. And in fact, I've heard it said before that that if two people agree on everything, then one of them is not listening. Okay? And I gotta say, I agree with that because even with two people, you're gonna have differences of opinion. So how much more so in a church like this one will we have differences of opinion when it comes to things like this? But you see, just because we have a difference of opinion and things like that. That does not necessarily mean that we are not unified. Because when it comes to the, to the non-essentials of the faith, those things that I mentioned earlier, listen, we have the ability uh, and, and the freedom to be able to express ourselves. And I believe that's, that's part of God's design. He's made us different. We're, we're very diverse as the body of Christ in this church, and I think that's good. However, when it comes to the core essentials, of the faith, those things being like the inerrancy of God's Word, uh, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ being the Son of God, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, well then, we need to be like-minded. We need to be unified in that. that. That represents the DNA, the core values of who we are as a body of believers. In other words, unity doesn't necessarily mean unanimity or uniformity. Unity does mean harmony. Unity means harmony. It it means working together. Though we may have a difference of opinion there, we come together over the core essentials of the faith. We we choose to cooperate with each other. And so church, can I just challenge you as a body of believers who is very diverse. We are a multi-generational church and I think that's great, praise God, but may we come together. May we come together and have unity, have harmony with one another. More importantly, may we stand together when hostility or opposition may come our way. All right, so if we want to stand tall and when the world wants to see us fall, then number one, we need to be consistent in our faith. We need to live a life worthy of the gospel. Number two, we need to be unified in our faith. We need to stand our ground, not just by ourselves, but with other like-minded believers. That is the church. And then related to that, Paul gives us a third quality that we are to have here. And that is number three. We are to have bravery. Bravery. Look at Paul's teaching here as he continues on in verse 28. Paul says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. Now I love what Paul is doing here because you see that the Philippian believers in Philippi, they were under Roman rule. They were under Roman authority. And so they begin to realize that what happened to Paul very well could happen to them. Just because it happened over there with Paul does not mean that it could not also happen to where they were living in as well. And so it's almost like Paul sits at their fears here and, it's, it's, and is a pastor and he tells them, listen, do not be frightened in any way by your opponents, meaning that we shouldn't be afraid of unbelievers who are hostile towards us and the Christian faith. Now listen, that's, that's admirable. I mean, it really is. I would say that, that, that's even brave. To stand up and to face our enemy like that, knowing good and well that they could throw you in jail just like they did for Paul. They could kill you as they commonly did. But even so, why do something like that? I mean, I mean, why not try to live in the shadows if you were a Philippian believer? Why not try to, try to blend in? Why, why not, instead of trying to, to be brave, seek to be a conformist? Do whatever the Romans tell you. Be on their good side. Just do whatever they ask you to do. After all, wouldn't that increase your safety? Well, certainly, I'm sure it would have. And I'm sure that was a temptation for those believers. But see, what I love about what Paul does here at the end of this verse is that he tells the Philippian believers why they should be brave, even when it was dangerous to do so. And his reasoning is this it proves that they are a believer. That's the why. In other words, when when opposition comes your way for the sake of Christ, it's a sign from God. And if you don't believe me, then, then look at what Paul says at the end of verse 28, because that's basically what he's saying. Look again, he says, Not being frightened in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of destruction for them, but a sign of your salvation. And this is from God. So to put it all together for you, let me just sum it up by saying this. When you are bold, when you are brave and you stand up for your faith in the midst of opposition, it shows you and the rest of the world that you are who you say you are. And at the same time, it shows you that you belong to the kingdom of God, while these other people who are hostile towards you belong to the kingdom of God of darkness, and will ultimately, if they do not repent of their sins, will be cast into the gates of hell itself. And so Paul's point here is that as a Christian, you should be brave in your faith. You should see conflict and opposition, not as a roadblock, not as a hindrance, but but almost as like a badge of honor. Because when you are hassled for the sake of Christ, you can know that you're on the winning side of the battle between dark and light, and that one day you will be rewarded for that bravery in heaven. And so if that's been your experience lately, let me just encourage you by challenging you to be a brave nonconformist. We need to be a brave nonconformist, not by looking for a fight, but that when the fight comes to us, we'll stand our ground. We'll not give in to those pressures. We'll stay true to our Christian faith and beliefs because when we do, we will shine like a bright diamond against the back backdrop of the world. And that, my friend, that's not only gonna please God, but that's going to exalt Christ. And through your bravery, you will make a difference and encourage other believers to do the same as well. You know, one of the things that I love about the scriptures is that this theme and I've talked about this earlier but that this theme of Christian bravery it's found all throughout Philippians I think we're seeing that but it's it's really found all throughout God's word. For example, when the when the when the Roman mob when they came to arrest Jesus in the in the garden. You remember that scene? When they came to arrest him. Notice the scriptures say that Jesus did not try to run away in that situation. I mean, Jesus would have had the power to just make them stop, right? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He he stood tall. When they asked who who Jesus was, Jesus says, It is me. He, He was not afraid. He stood tall. He was not ashamed of who he was. Or how about Stephen? Remember Stephen? When he was surrounded by a hostile group of believers who wanted to kill him, who ultimately did kill him? Did he cower? In fear in that moment? Did he try to renounce his faith so that he could he could live? He couldn't no, he, he couldn't shut his mouth. Even when they were throwing rocks at him, he kept talking about how he could see heaven. He was not ashamed of who he was as a believer. And then there's Peter. I mean, if, if anyone was skittish of their faith, it, it was Peter, right? I mean, Peter, he denied Christ not only once, not only twice, but three times. But the Bible also tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That on the day of Pentecost, when he preached, thousands received the gospel in their lives. He was emboldened, he stood tall. Church, that's bravery. That's courage. Paul tells us here in verse 28 that when we exemplify that in our lives, it is proof that we are saved. So don't be afraid to go outside these four walls and, and be bold for Christ, for if you bow before God, you can stand before anyone. Did you catch that? If you bow before the holy God, you can stand before Anyone, the Scriptures tells us in Romans that if God is for us, who can be against us? And even if we find ourselves in situations, we can know, trust, and believe that God will be with us in those moments. He will allow us and embolden us to stand firm in our faith. And again, one day we will be rewarded for that in heaven itself. Alright, so again, if you want to stand tall when the world wants to see us fall, number one, we must have consistency. Number two, unity. Number three, bravery. Paul is going to close out this section of his letter, chapter 1, by giving us one more quality that we're going to look at today. And that is agony. We are to have agony. Look with me one last time as Paul wraps up his teachings. Beginning in verse 29 in chapter 1. Paul says, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now here that I have. Now, I must say, it almost seems like Paul doesn't want to close out this chapter on a high note, does he? I mean, wouldn't it be nice for Paul to just sort of wrap up his section of his letter here in chapter 1 and basically say something along the lines of, you know, if you live your life worthy of the gospel, uh, if you're unified, if you're brave then nothing bad's going to happen to you. I and mean, that sounds pretty good, right? There's honestly a lot of preachers that would preach that, but here's the problem. That's not the reality of the Christian. And Paul knew that firsthand. So there, there, there's a lot of people, maybe even people in this church, I would say especially young believers, uh, who think that when you make a decision to follow Christ, that all your problems... All your struggles, all those things that you deal with and struggle with, they're just magically going to melt away. You know, in one sense, I guess they're right because through believing in Christ, the biggest battle has been won. And you should feel very freeing and liberating in that because it certainly is. But you see, while it's true that our biggest battle in life has been won, When we made a decision to follow Christ, the reality is that your decision to follow Christ has now invited a whole host of new problems. The enemy has put a bullseye right on your chest and he wants nothing more than to take you down. Listen, I think any mature believer who's walked with the Lord for more than just a couple of days would nod their head in agreement that that is certainly true. Listen, if you're skeptical of this, don't take my word for it. Don't take their word for it. Take Jesus' word for it because he himself says in this world you will have tribulation. And if the world hated me, then don't be surprised when it hates you. That's the idea that Paul has here. Again, he, he understands this firsthand that if you believe in Christ, then you will suffer for Christ because that's just... The reality of the world that we are living in today. There are people that want to see us fall from the faith. There are people that are going to mock and ridicule us and see us as being narrow minded because that's just the world we believe in. Listen, I, I want to point something else out to you here. Because, see, in, in verse 29, Paul writes something really interesting. I, I want to highlight it to you. Notice the language he uses in this verse. He says, For it has been, what's that word say? Granted. It has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. In other words, what what Paul is saying here is that through Christ, you have been granted, you have been given the privilege of salvation, of eternal life. Praise God, hallelujah. But then he also says, but you've been been given or been granted the privilege of, of suffering. And what Paul is saying here is that you should praise God for that too. Now listen, I know some of you are saying, Jeremy, I, listen, I will praise God for salvation. I mean, thank you, Lord, but this whole suffering part, I, I, I could live without that. Listen, I understand where you're coming from and saying things like that, but, but Paul's point here is that if you suffer for Christ well, and you suffer for Him for the right reasons, then you should see that as a privilege. And really for a couple of different reasons. Paul talked about these already throughout this letter. Number one, when you suffer for Christ, it's going to refine your faith. It's going to strengthen your faith. Number two, when you suffer for Christ, it's going to produce patience and perseverance in your faith when future trials and troubles come your way. Number three, when you suffer for Christ, it will inspire and embolden other believers to go out and do the same thing, as we've seen Paul mention this in verse 14. And then number four, when you suffer for Christ, it will bring God glory and honor. And again, you're going to be rewarded for that in heaven, as we've learned about in our text today. And so church, as we close this morning, I want you to understand That it is these four qualities that Paul gives us here that we need to have if we are going to stand firm. If we are going to hold our ground. If we are going to stand tall when the world wants to see us fall. We must be consistent in our walk, in our life. We must be unified in our faith amongst other believers, the body of Christ. We must be brave in the midst of hostility against our enemies, and we must be willing to suffer for Christ. Church, when we do that, we will pee like a strong pillar that will refuse to fall down from the weight and the pressures of this unbelieving world. We'll be like a fortified wall that refuses to be breached from the enemies of the faith, and we'll be like a firm foundation that will refuse to crack, that will refuse to break, though the wind and the waves can oftentimes be fierce. Church, let's be a people like that. Let's be a body of believers that will trust in Christ, that will stand our ground, that is willing to suffer even if it comes to it. For when we do that, we know we are advancing the kingdom of God. Let's pray.